the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us now. Here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. with you today. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. We're going through this letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, and uh, we have made our way to chapter two in our study. So we have gone through chapter one, and so we're going to look together today at chapter two. But before we look at chapter two, we need to, to, to recognize a couple of things, because Paul begins chapter two with the word, therefore. So he begins chapter 2 looking back over his shoulder at what he has already said. Now you'll remember that I've told you that the book of Romans, the theme of the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul knows that we will never truly understand how good the good news is unless first we understand the bad news. And so Paul, in the first chapter, begins to focus on the bad news. Around uh, chapter 1, verse 18, and he's going to stay focused on the bad news all the way until we get to chapter 3, around verse 20. He is focusing on the bad news. And what he wants us to understand, the bad news is that you and I are sinners separated from God. And there's nothing we can do about it. That's the bad news. Paul said all of us are sinners. And we have a tendency to, to somehow forget those truths. And so Paul says, listen, before I can really talk to you about how good the gospel is, you've got to understand your own need. You've got to understand the bad news. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us are sinners separated from God. Well, in chapter 1, last time we were together, in verse 18, as he kind of begins to build his case toward the fact that we are all sinners, Paul focuses on a group of people who are guilty of all kind of sin. And, uh, and we looked at that last time we were together. Now, I want to draw your attention to something that Paul does in chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, when he talks about that. Paul, in talking about that group of people who are basically Gentiles, or two groups of people in the church in Rome, Gentiles and, and Jews, Gentiles really from a pagan background, no, uh, no really connection with God or the things of God, the Jews kind of growing up in Judaism and, and, and a religious, so it's kind of a non-religious and a religious group that had come together. And so Paul is addressing kind of the Gentile side in verse 18 of chapter 1. And in doing that, in the text we looked at last week, he uses the third person pronouns of they, their, them, as he really focuses on their sin. At least 20 times, I kind of went through and counted, in 15 verses, 20 times he uses their, them, they, themselves to talk about the Gentiles' engagement in pagan-type 
behavior. Now, what I love about Paul is that as he writes this, almost as an attorney that is presenting his case, he anticipates the questions that we might have and the attitude that we might embrace. So what Paul does is he says, okay, uh, I think the response that you might have to chapter 1, verse 18 through the end of the chapter, that sermon that I preached last week, not just the Jews that were in Paul's day, but I think it really focuses on those of us who are in church today, the religious people. He said, I kind of have a feeling that your attitude about last week's sermon would be amen. Finally. You tell them, preacher. They are guilty of that. Yes, indeed, they deserve the wrath of God for the sins that they have committed. Those people out there are horrible. And yes, we need to speak the truth. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for having the courage to address those issues. Paul said, I kind of think that might have been the attitude of many people who are in church because Paul understands that for most of us in the church, we view sin in two basic categories. Yours and mine. And I have a tendency to look at your sin as if it's a lot worse than my sin, right? And that seems to be the case today, those two categories of sin. And we often are blind to our own sin, but boy, we can pick out the sin in other people, right? And that's pretty common. You remember all the way back in the Old Testament, you remember David, King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba and he, and, um, and he had Uriah, her husband, killed and he took her as his wife. Do you remember? Uh, the prophet confronted David with that. And it's really interesting in the Old Testament. The prophet confronted David with his own sin by telling him a story. And this is what the prophet said. He said, King, I need to tell you, there's a guy in the kingdom who has a whole bunch of sheep. I mean, he's got a whole a pasture full of sheep. And there's another guy who's really poor. He only has one, you. And he loves this lamb. And in fact, they've named it and they feed it, and it's like a daughter to him. He brings it into the house at night. I mean, it is a family pet. But this guy that owns a whole flock of sheep had a friend come from out of town, and he needed to kill a lamb and, uh, or a sheep and provide a meal for him, and he didn't want to take one of his own, so he goes and he gets that one and only lamb that that guy has, and he kills it, and he makes a meal to feed his friend. And when David heard that story, he said, he was enraged. He said, that is, that's ridiculous. 
You tell me who he is, and I'll make sure he pays for that sin. He needs to pay fourfold for what he did. How dare he do that? And you remember what you remember what the, the prophet said? David, you're the man. That's what you did. Now, why did he have to say that? Because David didn't see it. We have a tendency to see other people's sin but not our own. We have those blind spots in our life, and Paul knows that. He also knows that we have a tendency to ignore our sins, but not ignore other people. I mean, we may do the same thing that other people do, and we point out, oh, man, look at those people out there. They are sinners, God, and look, uh, did, you, did you hear what she did? Do you know what they did? And all, and all of a sudden, we point that out, and we have a tendency to just ignore our own Instead of confessing our sin and asking God to forgive us, we just kind of pretend it'll go away or everything will be okay. We put our sins in two categories. Sometimes we have a tendency to rationalize our sin. Oh, everybody else sins. But now, if I do it, well, there, there were reasons why that happened in my life. There were circumstances that contributed to that that makes it okay. You see, Paul understood you and he understood me and he understood the temptation that happens within the church and so as a result of that he uh, he says i'm i'm not done so though we give a hearty amen to last week's sermon paul begins in verse one of chapter two and look what he says no more third-person pronouns. Now it's second-person pronouns. Therefore, you. Last week, we talked about them. Now we're talking about you. So Paul says, therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment for in which you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? For because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, just those first five verses, I think we have to stop there. We can only take about five verses of Paul talking about us because he points out some things that maybe we don't want to see or things we don't want to hear, but things that we desperately need to see and hear. Now, Paul is talking, I believe, at this part of his letter to the to the Jews that were within the church, the religious people that were within the church, those who had grown up in the church. 
because they kind of had an attitude that, that we're God's chosen people. We, we keep the traditions and the law. And, and though there are Gentiles in the church, well, we're not like them. You know, we, we, we grew up different. We're, we're better than them. And I want to tell you something. I believe that same attitude exists today. It exists among people today who would say, well, well, well I'm, I'm not like those people. We go to church. I mean, we are morally good, sound people. And as a result of that, we have a tendency to have a holier-than-thou attitude. I'm, I'm here, and everybody else is down here. And so when we read verses 18 down through the end of the chapter in chapter 1, oh, amen, yes, they deserve it. And Paul said, but oh, wait, wait, time out. Now let's talk about you for a second. And in this passage of Scripture, he says there are five things that you have done that indict you, four things that indict you. We'll continue next week. First, he says, you stand in judgment upon others. When you look at other people's lives and the sin that they commit, you put yourself in a position where you are judge. You lay blame. You render a sentence. You wash your hands. And so he said, so listen to me. As a result of taking the position you've taken, you are without excuse. If you're willing to say that those who are far from God should pay for their sin. If you're willing to say that, yes, they are sinners and the wrath of God should be exercised against them, and they don't know, they didn't grow up, they have no knowledge of God or the knowledge of the truth, they don't know anything. If you believe that God should punish sin in their life, he says, then, then you're without excuse because you know God. You know that he's holy and has a standard. You know his word and what he requires. You have listened to sermon after sermon after sermon. You have been exposed to teaching in the word of God. You've been exposed to podcasts and, 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 and Bible studies. You know the truth. And because you have knowledge of that, Paul says, let me tell you something. You're, you're, you're without excuse. You can't plead ignorance. What he is ultimately saying is this. When I judge others, I am, by my very nature, I am acknowledging that there is a holy God. If I look at another person to determine that what they do is a sin, I am doing that based on the fact that I believe there is a holy God. I'm also judging them based on the fact that I believe that holy God has a standard that we are to live up to. He has a standard that he has called us to. And if I believe that there is a holy God and I believe that there is a standard, I am also saying I believe that if you break that standard, it is sin. And I believe that sin deserves the punishment or the wrath of God. Whenever I judge another person, this is what I'm saying. By the very act 
that I'm looking to say there's sin in your life, I am saying there's a holy God, he has a standard, there is a real thing called sin, and sin should be punished. It deserves the wrath of God. And if I believe all of that, then I'm without excuse myself for my own sin. I can't plead ignorance. Secondly, Paul says, not only is it true that when you judge others, you are without excuse, he said you also excuse yourselves of sin that you hold other people accountable for. He said you have a tendency to to see sin in the two categories that we just mentioned. Here, Paul confronts blatant hypocrisy in our lives. He since since they, they were, as he says, engaged in the same sin. You guys are pointing your fingers at other people for doing that, and you've done the same thing yourself. But somehow we think, well, but it's different. It's not the same. When I do it, because, you know, my, my, because I'm, I, I've got a heart for God, I mean, I fall off the wagon every now and then, but it's not as bad as when they do it. We have a tendency to say that, that it's, it's not the same. Somehow, it's worse when they do it than for us. And Paul said, that's just hypocrisy. Do you understand the blatant hypocrisy that exists in your own heart? And you, you have a tendency, oh, I'm no hypocrite. And Paul says, yes, you are. You're judging other people for doing the same thing you've done in your own life, in your own heart, in your own actions. I found a great definition of hypocrisy, by the way. I thought this was really fun. Hypocrisy is when someone complains that there's too much sex and violence in their own DVD collection. That's hypocrisy. There's too much sex and violence in my own collection of DVDs. That's hypocrisy. And that's exactly what the, the, that's exactly what the Jews in the church were doing. And that's exactly what you and I have a tendency to do. I, I think that what Paul is saying is that, hey, as religious people, there's nothing you can do to escape judgment. You've got to understand this. As religious people, it's not some moral standard that you live up to. It's not because you've been baptized or because you go to church. It's not because of some words. You can not escape the judgment of God. That's what Paul's saying. Now, later on, he's going to tell us how we can find freedom from the judgment of God, and it's only available through Jesus. But it's not anything that we do. So he is ultimately building his case to say, you excuse yourselves while holding other people accountable at a different standard than you live by. Now, the third thing that he says is this. You mock God. 
You, you, you claim to have a relationship with God, but what you're demonstrating, listen to me very carefully, what you're demonstrating is that you don't really know God. You don't know the heart of God. That, that attitude that you've embraced reveals that, that, that you don't know God intimately like, like he is calling you to know. I, I think verse four is a key verse in the text that we just read. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? and tolerance and patience now knowing or not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance. What Paul is saying is this, to condone others or, or to condemn others in their sin without seeing our own need to repent. To recognize the sins of others without Seeing our own need to repent is, is like presuming upon the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God. To, to presume literally means, and there's some translations that capture it with that word, to presume literally means to grossly overestimate, I'm sorry, grossly underestimate the value or significance of something. To presume means to grossly underestimate. So I'm, I'm underestimating the value of the kindness of God, the long-suffering of God. The word kindness that he uses there is a word from a root that literally means to supply all of my needs. You are presuming upon the kindness of God. God is kind to you whether you deserve it or not. God provides for our needs, and it's not based on what we do or who we are. The kindness of God is exercised toward us because of who he is, not because of who we are. The word forbearance or tolerance that he uses there carries the idea of a truce. That God has chosen not to give us what we deserve. And... and and to say, you deserve punishment, you deserve to face the consequences of your sin, but God chooses to withhold that punishment. That's what that word forbearance means. And the word long-suffering, translated patience, carries with it the, the long-tempered response of God. And so this is what he's saying. He says, you judge other people in their sin and you're quick to point out their sin and see what they're doing and oh, you know, you, you, you basically compare yourself to them and it makes you look better as you compare yourself to others. And he says, you think that because you are not facing the immediate judgment of God in your life, you think you're okay. You think because I do these things and nothing bad happens to me, either God doesn't think it's that bad or it's not that bad or I just got away with it. I know God says don't do it, but I did it and nothing really happened. So maybe God didn't keep his word. Maybe and what you know, and, and you know what Paul is saying? What you fail to recognize is the reason nothing has happened to you is because of the kindness of God. Because of the long 
tempered nature of God. Because of the the forbearance of God to say, I'm going to withhold what you deserve. And then Paul says this in verse 4. He said, because the kindness of God leads to repentance. He said, what you fail to recognize is the reason that when you sin, nothing horrible has happened is that God is giving you an opportunity to recognize it on your own and repent. God's given us an opportunity. You see, it's not, it's not the badness of man that brings about repentance in our heart. It's the goodness of God that brings about repentance in our heart. A person doesn't repent because they realize, oh, I've done something bad and I feel bad about that and I'm ashamed and I feel guilty. That doesn't lead us to repentance. You know what leads to repentance? Understanding the kindness of God. You remember the story of the prodigal son in the Bible? The son who came to his father and said, give me the part of the inheritance that belongs to me. And he goes and he lives and he takes it, you know, as if to say, you know, I want to you're not dying quick enough, dad. I want my inheritance now. The dad gives him the inheritance and he goes away into a foreign country, blows it all, has nothing left. And then the Bible says something very critical in that story. It says while he was in that foreign country starving, he came to himself. He came to his senses. And you know what, he, you know what happened when he came to his senses? This is what he said. He came to his senses and he said, how many hired servants does my father have and they have all they need and more? You know what brought him to his senses and understanding that dad wasn't as bad as I thought he was? That dad is kind. The servants of my father have enough to eat and more than enough to eat. And it's the kindness of my father toward them that, that brought him to the place that he recognized his own need to repent. And he says, I will go to my father and I will say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I, I, I've messed up. And I, I am not worthy. He, I, I will turn, I'll go to my father and repent of my sin and I'll say I'm not worthy to be your, your, your son. Make me as a hired servant. And of course we know the story of how the father received him. But I want you to understand it was the goodness of the father that brought about the repentance in the son. And Paul is saying, hey, many of you think because you're getting by with stuff that you're okay. And he says, you are presuming on the kindness of God and the only reason nothing bad has happened as a result of the things you've done is because God is giving you an opportunity to repent and to return. He's giving you a chance to make it right. Well, the final thing that Paul says in the text before us, he says, you guys have rejected repentance you refuse to repent of your sin because of the kindness of God and in doing that 
Paul said. You are storing up the wrath of God day by day, little by little, until one day judgment comes and God's patience ends. And because he is a holy, righteous God who loves us, he never lets us down and he never lets us go, but he also never lets us off. And there comes a time when the judgment of God falls one day his patience ends. This is what I think he's wanting us to recognize here. It is impossible to know God and not live a life of repentance. It is in repentance that we come to find forgiveness of our sin. It's repentance that we walk with God. We often say that our mission statement here is that we want to, we believe God's put us here to help you thrive in your relationship with God. You will never thrive in your relationship with God unless you're living a life of repentance. In fact, I believe that's actually a, an easy way to evaluate how well we're doing. If we take an honest look at our life, the question is, is my life characterized by repentance? And if it is, you can be confident that your relationship with God is healthy. If you keep the focus on your own sin and not on others, and when you see it, you repent of it and turn from it, that's what the word repent means, to turn from, you repent to say, God, I, I turn from my sin to you. I don't have time to worry about somebody else's sin, I'm too occupied with my own, and I see my own sin and I recognize it and I turn from it and ask for your forgiveness and restoration. And if that is true of you, you need to pray every day, God, thank you for your kindness and your tolerance and your long-suffering that enables me to recognize my sin and ask for forgiveness so that I can be restored. But if you're one of those people that's more focused on the sins of others than you are yourself, then you need to get on your knees and pray, God, reveal to me the sin in my own heart so that I can repent and turn from it to receive forgiveness and restoration. Now here's the important part of the message. This word today is not for them. It's for you. So evaluate your relationship with God right now. Are you living a life 
of repentance? Does your life every day involve God? Wow, I'm sorry for my sin. I blew it right there. Forgive me, restore me. Does that sound like your life every day, all day long? God, forgive me, I blew it. Give me strength and courage to overcome. Help me be aware of those areas in my life where I fail so that we can be restored. If not, then today's an opportunity to fix that, to acknowledge your own sin because you are without excuse. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today and the opportunity that you give us right now to respond to it. There are people in this room today who have never accepted the gift of eternal life that you offer, and I pray that today would be the day that they see as Paul has so, so vividly given us the reality that we are sinners separated from you. And there's only one way that we can fix that problem, and that is to come to you. We can't do anything. You have fixed it, and we can trust in you. And I pray that any who have never done that would trust you today. And others in the room, I pray, God, that you would reveal sin in our lives so that we can begin to focus on ourselves and not everybody else, so that we can thrive in our walk with you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we listen to this song, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what we have heard today. And it may be that you can pray that simple prayer today. God, would you just reveal sin in my life that I can confess it and, and bring it before you. Help me to focus on me and not everybody else so that we can be where we need to be in our walk with God. And you make that decision to make that right. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'd love the opportunity to do that. I'll be here as we have opportunity. But in these moments, this is God's opportunity to speak to you and your opportunity to listen and respond. So would you just bow your head with me and listen as God speaks in this moment about what we've discovered together today. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.